Here on the Planted Podcast, we don't shy away from tackling tough issues or try to create false images of ourselves. We think there is enough of that going on in the world today. As a matter of fact, the inspiration behind this podcast is to speak to and inspire regular folks through personal stories that being real, being vulnerable, and being true to ourselves is not weak. Actually, it's quite the opposite. We believe that true strength is revealed through our ability to continue to grow through our struggle. And we want this podcast to serve as a reminder that in our darkest hours, when we can't see the way out, when our backs are up against the wall, and it feels like life has us buried, we've only been planted. Mm. All right, Dustin. Dustin Hensley, John Theobald, back for episode two of the Planted Podcast. And we have our very, very good friend, Mr. Wes Lybrook. Hello. Hello, John. Hello, Dustin. Hey, buddy. Very glad you're here. It's our official first guest on the Planted Podcast. Couldn't be happier about that. He's going to tell us a little bit about uh, his background, what he's up to today, and uh, share some miracles with us, too. Cool, cool. I'm looking forward. I think forward. that's the plan, right? I'm looking forward, yeah. All thanks. right. Good deal. Well, I think Dustin had his phone on. <laughs> tell Dustin to turn his phone off for the podcast. It's already. Yeah, we're learning them. Yeah. Tell us about your week, Dustin. So, um, it's been a good week. Um, yeah, my, my um, I, you know, it's been a good week. My wife was out of town, um, so I got to spend some time with the boys. Um, some of that was, um, you know, it was ups and downs, but I think through, through you know, at the end of the week, I end up kind of learning a little bit more about them, knowing them a little bit better. Um, How many been, days was she gone? She was gone from, she left first thing Monday morning and came back late Thursday evening. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you really had some time alone. Yeah, yeah, we had some time. We had some time together. And like I said, some of that was good, some of that was bad. <laughs> uh, Mostly good, hopefully. Well, probably, you know, probably good for me. They would probably tell a different story. Yeah, they were ready for mom to yeah, come Yeah, they were ready for mom to come back, for yeah, sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Does dad cook? Uh, I cooked a uh, hamburger helper one oh, night. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, yeah. I did them up. That is a classic dad dish, I think, right there. Easy for Yeah, man. That's great. Hey, and we sat down at the table. We, you know, we had a we had a family dinner one night. Yeah. So I good. felt good about. it. I was real proud. Nice, <laughs> cool. Yeah. And then, uh, so that was yeah. That's pretty much what's going on in my week. Wes, how about you? Well, I've uh, been working on a property and turning it back around. I, uh, I have some rentals, and uh, when somebody moves out, I sometimes sometimes more work than others. And uh, I've, I've been working on uh, a house uh, the last couple of weeks, um, a, a lot of work. And then uh, I'm doing some work in my basement and finishing up some remodeling in my own home. And then I've got a lot of uh, work that I do with uh, sober living in uh, Hamilton and in Cincinnati and we had a lot of meetings this week and I participated in some of that so yeah it's been a busy week yeah we're gonna get into that for sure um, about you John what's going on with you buddy this was a little bit of a difficult week actually we all three have a friend John Justice that passed away this week spent and it happened rather quickly it, he went into the hospital on friday somewhat unexpectedly yeah went into a medically induced coma and never came out it's 
his wife had called and asked that I show up there. Um, I went three days in a row, but they took him off life support on Tuesday, and I was there for that, and I was um, thankful that I could be available and be there. That was a, that was a very difficult to, to watch, watch the family go through. Sure. I personally haven't experienced anything like that before. Mm-hmm. Amazing what these doctors and folks in the ICU are doing with people, um, dealing with, with families and guiding everyone through and everything they're doing to try to care for the individual is is impressive um but very very sad at the same time so that was that was my week not to be too much of a downer but uh, just w- certainly wanted to mention that we're hopefully going to have a celebration of life for john here at foundations mm-hmm. community church coming up pretty soon maybe in a week or two yeah it really gives you pause when something happens like that and how quickly it's it's, it's like it's unreal that they were here and now they're gone yeah 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 unreal i mean huge uh shout out to the you know to medical staff i I don't think they get enough i think sometimes nurses and doctors kind of get the you know the you know brunt into the stick especially when it goes south you know it's like um but i I think they 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 never can get enough thanks so huge thanks to them yeah and then always uh huge thanks to foundation community church for opening its doors up no questions asked they they were fantastic um as far as when it came to that he didn't even bat an eye he was like absolutely yeah special yeah so uh, and then of course that's always tragic about john it was unreal it's uh it's really uh makes you think like Man, that, that dude was at work on Friday mm-hmm. and then gone mm-hmm. the, the next, you know, the next week. It was it's unreal. It is. Yeah. Hard you to know, wrap your head around. Nothing prepares you for people departing, you know. I mean, it's uh, when 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 babies are born, there's a celebration and everybody's, you know, and and you kind of you know how to deal with that. It, it's not it's not uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know. But when somebody dies, it it's it's strange it's you you don't know how to walk through that often mm-hmm. yeah. especially if you haven't had that experience often yeah. so definitely yeah well let's get into a little bit of uh talking about your yourself wes so wes is living uh outskirts of hamilton ohio mm-hmm. and been there for quite a while your current role you mentioned a little bit about that real estate investor mm-hmm. property manager mm-hmm. you're the director of greg's place which is a sober living house in hamilton and then also recently appointed as the board chair for the greater cincinnati resource collaboration which also focuses on uh, collaborating connecting the many sober living houses in the greater cincinnati area correct that's correct okay uh, hopefully we'll circle back to that here in a little bit, but tell us a little bit about your background, where, where you were born, and a little bit about your family dynamic. Okay, okay. I, um, I was born to a single parent uh, mother who um, was born in Okeana, which isn't too far from here. That's where my family's from. They were in Okeana for probably over 100 years, and my mom went to Miami University and graduated graduated with a degree in education and moved to Dayton, where she was employed by Wright-Patterson Air Force Base as a civil service um, employee. She was 
one of the first um, in the field of computer technology. Uh, she worked on the computer data processors as a key punch operator and other um, other things when she was in her 30s out of out of college and. She was an extremely, extremely intelligent woman. Um, she never married. I was born in 61 and she was 40 at the time. So I was a late in life birth for her. Oh, wow. Not, not planned. In fact, she carried me full term and uh, she was such a small woman in stature, nobody even knew she was pregnant. Hmm. So um, she wasn't, like I said, she was just a very, very intelligent woman. And uh, she did things that women weren't supposed to do in 1950 and 60. She was she made the salary of a man mm. at the time. Um, she bought her own home in 61 when I was born by herself. I mean, she did some amazing things. And and then uh, the reason I mention all of that is because uh, when I was about three or four years old, she was let go from Wright Pat. Um, they forced her into disability retirement. And um, the significance of that is that she took to drinking at that time to, yeah. to deal with it. I mean, she, I, I, I don't know why she didn't go anywhere else and try anything else. I, I don't know if it's because at 40 or 43 with a small child, she thought, how can I do that? I don't know. She's gone. I can't ask her. But um, so I was raised in a single parent um, alcoholic environment that was, you know, it had it had components that were really good. There were things that were really exceptional about my childhood, and there were things that were just horribly traumatic. I mean, she would get telephonitis and start drinking, and and I, I remember hiding in the closet at mm. five and six years of age. You know, um, terrified mm. because she's screaming on the phone at these people and. And, and it, at the same time, then the, the flip side of that is that, you know, she was placed on a disability retirement. And I remember seven and eight years old, you know, coming home from school and seeing her with a pen and paper, writing out her budget for the month. And after all the bills were paid and the mortgage and everything else, there was $10 left for groceries for the month. Amazing. And I never went hungry. Mm. So, so, you know, in spite of, there was such a, such a, uh, contrast between the good and the and the challenging in my childhood. You know, uh, I was a kid that was not sure of himself. I was I didn't have a father figure in the home at, right. at least to uh, to to support me, encourage me, guide me. My mom was just not available. You where, know, where was Dan? Uh, he was uh, he was married. Um, so he was married to another woman. Um, I didn't know this until they were both deceased, believe it or not. But um, I, it's a funny thing. I, I called him. I knew him. I, I met him. He used to come, oh, once a month or something like that. He'd bring a sack of groceries and a bottle of bourbon. As you were growing up? Yeah. You, okay. Yeah. I remember I remember him. He, he never engaged with me, really. Um, uh, he was he was like Santa Claus to me, mm. you know. I, I mean, I looked at him like John Wayne, you know. <laughs> but you know, he was no hero. Make no mistake about that. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, I, I can imagine he was probably I think 50, 50 or fifty five mm -hmm. when I was born. Oh wow! I mean, and married to another woman. So why? I mean, I, I get it. I, right. I understand why. I don't. I don't have um, a tremendous amount of angst or um, you know resentment towards him or anything else. It, it is what it is, and he was a player, 
you know he went to vegas he went on fishing trips and drinking he he that was that was just who he was mm -hmm. you know um, my mom loved him she was totally in love with him she knew she would know intuitively when he he had heart attacks had probably three or four heart attacks in his lifetime and when he had a heart attack she would know it before a phone call came she was that connected yeah they had a connection yeah oh, wow. so so um you know and when i was when i was born um my grandmother my mom's parents my grandmother shunned my mother she wouldn't see me um mm. she was uh looked down upon frowned, frowned upon the family the family um never treated her well you know and except for my uncle now I'll tell you about my uncle uncle mike was like a father to me he was uh he was a stand-up guy old german mm -hmm. um he was uh he served in um in one of the uh wars and he worked for the signal corps and when he came out of uh, the war he uh, went to uc and studied electronics and he became a tv radio repairman and he ran that business out of his home in okeana for all of his life uh, he uh, played the uh, organ. He was a music. He was a musician. He played with bands. And uh, uh, God, there's lots of stories I could tell about Uncle Mike. But uh, but never, never a man lived closer to how Jesus lived than my Uncle Mike. Mm. I mean, just a stand-up guy. Uh, here's here's a story when when he, when my grandmother uh, my grandmother made an, an arrangement with a cousin, uh, a distant cousin of ours. His name was Uncle Billy. And the arrangement was Uncle Billy was like eight in his 80s and he couldn't care for himself anymore. So he said, I'll give you my farm and, and in turn you take care of me until my dying day. And my grandmother said, that's, that's fine, I'll, I'll do that. And so, funny thing, my grandmother died before Uncle Billy did. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so my uncle, my uncle being the man that he was, stepped up, took care of Uncle Billy with no payment no benefit to him whatsoever took care of him until he died at 103 years of age oh, wow. okay wow. the last years of his life he was he was in diapers he was senile and my uncle cared for him in his home till his dying day wow. that's who my uncle was yeah okay well I, I didn't say this in the beginning probably should have but wes and i have known each other for more than 20 years yeah. i met him when i was just a teenager yeah. first time coming in recovery and of all the the family members that i've heard you talk about i've i've heard you talk about your uncle more than anyone i know how much he meant to you and oh my um, gosh. i didn't know that i don't i don't remember that story about uncle billy and being 103 years old and him caring for him that's amazing yeah. when i was three my uncle came up to uh to kettering because my mom hadn't wouldn't answer the phone and he came after a few weeks he came up to see what was going on because she wouldn't answer the phone she was having a nervous breakdown and she was feeding me beer. I was three. Okay. Wow. He, hmm. he took her to the doctor. She had been through shock treatment before and um, he took her to the doctor and the doctor wanted to put her back through shock treatments again. My uncle said, no way. He said, no way. He snatched both of us up, took us to his home, kept us there for six months and brought us through, brought her through that on his own. Man, thank God for him. Yeah. I mean, just, just a, just a sweetheart of a guy, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Played the organ for the church for 70 years, I think. <laughs> Never took a penny for it. Cathedrals in Cincinnati had asked him to come play. He said, no, i got to take care of my church in Oklahoma. Yeah, that's you know? awesome. Is that where you got your musical interest? I, you know, he taught think? me to play piano when I was six. We started learning the piano. I probably wasn't a very good student. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I did learn, yeah, he gave me a foundation in music. You know, I later took up the saxophone, and I played professionally for a number of years and uh, still look back on that you know, um, fondly. But, uh, it's the one thing I've never seen you do is play the saxophone. Yeah, I, I used to try to get him to, but he, he just wouldn't do it. I, I, I lost my horn in San Diego, or no, here. No, it was in Florida. I lost my horn in, in Florida, and, um, well, they're... They don't give those away. Let's yeah. put it that way. Not the not not, not, not profession, the professional models, mm-hmm. anyways. Yep. But so yeah, I, I I think I'll do it again someday. I I love the blues. I played the blues. Um, I played with some of the most talented musicians in the country in Kansas City years ago, years and years ago, and just just an amazing experience. I played with a couple of guys called the McFadden Brothers, Don, Don, uh, Donnie uh, Lonnie and. Lonnie and Donnie McFadden. They have a world-renowned uh, tap and dance routine. They're managed by Count Basie Productions. Oh, wow. These guys have got more talent in the end of their little fingers than most of us have in our whole <laughs> extremity, you know. And just played with them and a guy named Kenny Hudson at a, um, at a place called The Tuba in uh, Kansas City. And just amazing, amazing musicians and people that I, I got to sit with. It was, it was really, really powerful. So... So anyways, I mean, I, I, so I was raised, you know, by my mother in that atmosphere and, and, and I sustained a lot of trauma from it. You know, I was a kid that wasn't, didn't fit in socially. I, I had friends, but I, I didn't fit in well at school. I, I, I experienced a lot of bullying and about the time I got into junior high school, you know, mid, midway through junior high, I discovered that there was this clique of people that if you were to go out to this little wall before school and smoke cigarettes with them, you, you were accepted. And, you know, I was just dying to be accepted. Yeah, down I mean, the in crowd. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, that's, that's really where it started. And uh, I started smoking, you know, marijuana about that time. And, and, and I... I didn't, you know, at, at that time, for the first, what, three, four years, uh, so let's say freshman, sophomore, junior, even into my senior year in high school, I didn't have consequences. I, I had a, I had fun. You know, I fit in finally. I, I had guys that would stick up for me. I was, a, you know, a small kid. that um, I, I wasn't a fighter. I, I, I was, I was. I was easy prey, right? Put it that way. Right. So, you know, with this new clique of, of people, I was—I uh, finally felt safe. I think that's what it was more than anything else. And then when I discovered alcohol, it was like, you know, where have you guys been hiding this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How soon after you started smoking pot did you find alcohol? But well, you, we know prob- you found it at three years prob- old. Prob- yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah wow. prob- probably. Um, I think the first time I drank um, and and got drunk, so to speak, I think I was probably thirteen, and I, I, you know, I was like. I didn't want to. I didn't really want to do that again at that point. But at 15, I drank again and didn't get sick and didn't black out the first time. And but it was like, oh my God, this is this is what I've been looking for, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and we had a lot of fun. I mean, I, I 
I could tell you stories for hours of, of all the fun we had. We did. We, we had a lot of fun. We had a great camaraderie. I had a great group of guys that I ran around with. And, um, and so, but by 19, you know, that, that whole thing turned on me and I, I was suicidal. I had lost a job that, that, uh, that meant a lot to me. I, I was going nowhere. I, 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 I wanted to die and I couldn't drink enough to make the pain go away any longer. Mm. So we'll talk, talk, you talked about trauma a little bit and you just mm -hmm. talked about some pain and you haven't mentioned yet, but your mom got really sick when you were a late teen. Yeah. When I was 17, my, my, my mom had had a cancer operation when I was 13, I think, uh, 12 or 13 had, had a radical breast uh, mastectomy and, um, then she received radiation and chemotherapy for a couple of years, but at five years, I don't know what happened because she didn't tell me, mm -hmm. but I do know that the doctor put her back in for, uh, an experimental chemotherapy. And, um, and at 17, my mom died when I was 17 and the chemotherapies, what the chemotherapy killed her in seven days. Wow. So it wasn't wow. the cancer that killed her. It was at the time, but I, I, I would only be assuming and guessing, but I'm believing that it, it was probably stage four and she was terminal and gonna die anyways soon. But it was, it was tragic. I mean, I, I was so, so lost, you know, and uh, I was already a daily drinker. At right. 15, I, I was drinking daily. In fact, my mom, used to, <laughs> my mom used to buy me beer, you know, at 15, believe it or not, till I wrecked her car. Then <laughs> <laughs> you got cut off. <laughs> she said, I'm not buying you any more beer. Uh, mom. So you just stayed but, inside the bottle. You had already climbed in the bottle oh, at 15, yeah. but you just stayed in it after yeah, mom passed. Yeah, and it was not just drinking. It was, you know, uh, barbiturates were big then, second all, two and all. Um, you know, quaaludes, we, that, that was our life, you know, and, and, um, yeah, I, I was in, I was in trouble from the get go. You know, there was never a break in period for me. I, I was in trouble from the first time I, I drank at 15, you know? Yeah. And, um, so it was, it was the answer at the time, but then it became the curse, you know? Sure. So, so I came to recovery the first time when I was uh, 19 uh, I went into uh, a drug and alcohol treatment center in Hamilton called the Buckeye Center, um, Gonzaga Hall. And I was in detox. Through, I went through seven days of severe alcohol and drug withdrawal at, at, at 19. And uh, President Reagan was elected to office while I was in detox. Mm. So that gives you a reference, okay? <laughs> yeah, it um, does. Uh, I... I came out of there and went back to Kettering and uh, uh, went to outpatient treatment. And, and uh, you know, I, I started on a path to recovery. Uh, I wasn't fully convinced of how how significant my problem was. So I, I, I didn't take all the measures that were probably indicated to me at the time. But um, um, I, I guess you could say since I was 19, I've, I've been in recovery sure you know? that's certainly one of the things that you and i have connected with mm -hmm. is the getting into recovery at such an early age and what that means and some of the experiences that we've shared it's been it's been the tone of my life you know it's been i mean i i had 
I had five years of, of sobriety at one time uh, in Florida from the time I was like 21 to 26 and, um, and had a really, really good life. I'd met my wife, my daughter was born, um, I had a small home improvement business and uh, I, I had a really good life. I was really active in the community. We were active at the level of, uh, we went into the schools with public information committee of, of a 12 step uh, uh, fellowship that I was a part of and we presented to kids you know the risk and the challenges and the our experiences in in addiction or whatever and um, so I, I did a lot of really good stuff you know I had a really good life but you know speaking about that childhood thing mm -hmm. something never got settled for me okay so when you when you think about the idea of being buried and being planted I mean I I, I guess I was planted very young. I was planted at 19, you know, because I was, I was suicidal. I took a gun and, and uh, put it to my head when I was 19 before I got sober. And uh, I, I wanted to pull the trigger. I wanted to kill the pain. And I didn't know how because the alcohol wasn't doing it anymore, mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, but speaking of the trauma piece, so I, I had this period of recovery for a number of years and did all the right things, but something never got okay inside. Mm. And uh, in fact, I had some problems in my marriage and, and I was hurt terribly through those, those circumstances in the marriage. And one day the idea came that I could probably just smoke a joint and it would be okay. So, so when that happened, it was, it was Katie bar the door again. It was within six months I had smoked uh, crack with, uh, with someone and uh, I, within a year I lost everything. Mm -hmm. And that was the most, probably the most devastating period of my life. For 12 years, I struggled in and out and in and out of recovery. I, and took me places I never ever dreamed of. I mean, I became such a thief and a liar and such a such a piece of trash. I mean, if, if you let me in, I hurt you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about being Billy Billy badass. I'm I'm just talking about if you let me into my into your life, I eventually I would put you in a position where you were hurt terribly, whether it was emotionally, physically, monetarily. I I hurt you and. Um, I took that all across the country. I, I moved every time the rent was due. <laughs> I, every time, if I got in trouble with the judge and he let me out, I was gone. You know, um, so yeah, you weren't going to stick around to see what would happen. But but speaking of that uh, piece of um, of the emotional trauma, I along the way, somewhere in that twelve years, I did some work with a lady who had a PhD um, in. Um, rehabilitative therapies and she was an expert in childhood trauma and ACOA work, uh, adult children's work. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered in that was we did some, actually I did some hypnotic, uh, hypnosis uh, regressive therapies with her and I did this with another guy too. And some things that I started to recount that I had buried and, and not known about was when I was like five, say, or six, somewhere around there, I found my mom passed out on the floor, drunk, and I thought she was dead. Mm. And this little kid that thought his mother had died, okay, crawled back inside, and I decided that the world just wasn't a safe place. You can't, when, when you're a child, 
your parents are God. And if you can't trust your parents, you, you can struggle for all of your life trying to, trying to build a relationship and a reliance and dependence upon a power you know, that's greater than you. Call it God, call it whatever you want. It, it, is the most, it was the most devastating piece of my entire life and the mm. thing that I struggled with until probably until I was 35 mm. or so. Um, I, I always believed in this, you know, power greater than myself or always believed in God, but I didn't trust God. I couldn't because you can't trust God. That's what that little boy knew. Sure. Okay. Wow. So, wow. so, you know, what, one of the things that she did with me was she said, you know, we've got to go back and get in touch with that little boy. And, and we've got to start developing a relationship with him and tell him we have to convince him that it's okay now. We're going to take care of you. You know, mm-hmm. you're not alone any longer. And, uh, and, and that little piece was a significant. I didn't get, you know, sober and clean and straighten out everything at that point, but it was a piece of the puzzle. So I think when you talk about being planted, it was like I got pruned several times along the way. Mm. You know, lot, there were lots of little pieces that didn't come all at once. You know, they, they, came, they came a piece at a time. There was another piece that came. I was incarcerated in 1995 in Atlanta, Georgia, in Marietta for felony cocaine possession. And uh, I, I had been doing this in and out thing of recovery for like, I don't know, eight years, 10 years at the time, something like that. And um, I had said that because I, I had a, a real fundamental problem with Christianity in that I, I, I accepted Jesus as a, as a great man, but I wouldn't see him as a son of God. He wasn't the Lord of my life. It, 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 I just, and, and I thought Christianity was so flawed because they picked and decided what went into the Bible at the Council of Nicaea, you know, and, <laughs> and that they left out all these other pieces. And they, so I had all these problems with Christianity, but I thought my, my first wife, had uh, had a piece of this too because she always suggested that if I just knew Jesus I would be okay mm. and I was so that made me so oh, yeah, um, resentful oh, oh it yeah. made me so mad how dare you and you know yeah. and, and you know I mean it, not to say that you know she had this good life uh-huh. and I was you know, I'm struggling you know but and I'm I'm uh, not taking care of any of my responsibilities but at any rate. Um, what happened was I, uh, I decided that, you know, I, I said to myself, if I come back to recovery, I'm going to try this Christian thing, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I sent a, a request to see the jail chaplain. And uh, a couple days later, I get called out of my cell and I'm thinking, wow, cool, it's, it's, it's the bondsman's come to get, you know, because I'm incarcerated in Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know anybody. I don't know if you know. If you're not from there and you don't know anybody, you don't get out of jail. That's how it works. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm thinking, well, here comes the bondsman, you know. And so I said, you're the bondsman, right? And this big old fella, his name was Hutch, he says, well, he says, I'm, I'm a different kind of bondsman, Wes. He says, step on into this room here. So we step into this little broom closet, right? And he says, I'm the jail chaplain. And something happened. I, I can't explain it. Um, I, I was ready. I was just ready. I was so defeated. I, I was absolutely surrendered. And I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at that time. And I had a powerful, powerful deliverance experience. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, it was a peace, though, again, 
of the puzzle. Right. It wasn't the answer, mm -hmm. but it was a piece. But what happened was that that blockage, that wall that that I, that I had built as a child. Okay, remember about not being able to trust. That wall finally fell down all the way, and I accepted, you know, this power greater than myself as my Lord and Savior, and I surrendered myself unequivocally, you know, to that. And so it, mm -hmm. I would like to, I wish I could say that, you know, that was the answer and that I lived happily ever after, but it was actually another three years before I came back to this recovery that, that I've currently sustained at this point for the last almost 22 years. Um, so, so there were a lot of pieces, you know, there was the piece of finding the recovery piece that was important of dealing with the childhood trauma that was important of surrendering uh you know and and finding this uh, relationship with god call it christ call it whatever you want for me jesus is lord of my life i i claim that that's mine i don't i don't push that on anybody else that is i don't i don't need for anybody else to accept that right. that that's what i love about where god has brought me is that i don't need this to be for you I need it to be for me, mm -hmm. you know. So, so all of these pieces together and then coming to recovery this time and all of the wonderful, wonderful people that have been a part of that, you and you both as well. Um, gosh, I, I've just got such an amazing life, you know. I, 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 I can't even begin. I, I'm so overpaid. <laughs> I've, I've had so much good fortune. I've got good health. Uh, I have... A wonderful, wonderful relationship um, in the community with with men and um, and with uh, the, the ability to work with others and help others. I, I just I I don't I don't know how my life could be any better. Sure. To be honest with you. So you, you come know. in, you get sober. How long have you been sober? Uh, it'd be twenty two years on May seventeenth. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Glory to God. Glory, yeah. glory to you know. A lot of other people. So you want to talk a little bit about Greg's place and what that is? Yeah. So, well, you know, my first, uh, the first uh, guy that I used as a sponsor, what, 40 years ago, he's, he tells me that I, I talked about this idea years ago about building a treatment center. I'm glad you're bringing this up because I wanted to yeah. touch on that. Yeah. Yeah. His name was, uh, was Ed and he, uh, he lives out in Kansas City now. And um, he was just, just an amazing, amazing guy. You know, he, he's, uh, he's just such a powerful, powerful part of my life. There isn't a day that goes by that there isn't something that Ed taught me that doesn't, uh, you know, come to surface and come to light in my life. So he tells me about uh, how I talked about that then. So one of, one of the dreams was to build a treatment center that was 12-step based. And, you know, God kind of took that desire and reshaped it a little bit. Um, there's this book, and I've, I can't think of the name of it right now, but in the book it makes a reference to the place where um, your greatest talents meet up with the world's greatest need. And that's what happened with Greg's place, was uh, we, we found a property that uh, we had talked about for a, a number of number of years about finding a place where we could just have like a sober you know house was just our idea and um, finally that opportunity came along you know I, I mean there was all these miracle stories and one of them is in that is that we made an offer on this property 
and uh, it was perfect for what we wanted to do as far as the sober living house went. And uh, it, uh, our offer wasn't accepted. There was another offer that was accepted. I don't know if you remember this or not. Yeah, when, when he's talking about we, he's talking about John and Wes. We were, uh, at that time, we were in a real estate business together and we had purchased 20 plus properties that we had renovated and, and rented out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wes had started talking to me about uh, the treatment center idea. But then we had a conversation about maybe being being in real estate and being tied to recovery that maybe sober living was was something. And mm-hmm. uh, I do, I remember standing in that house on, on C Street going, I, I think this might be what Wes is talking about right here. Man, it, it was just, it was perfect, you know, but it was funny because we made that offer and it went pending and, and we weren't the one that got it. Yeah, okay. you were devastated. Oh, it was like, you know, God, I can't believe this, you know. And at the end of the day, we got an, an email, or it was—it could have been the end of the day or the next day. Maybe you've got a better recollection than I do. That that we got an email or a call that says your offer's been accepted. Yeah, I think so, I thought it was a joke, maybe. Yeah, or a mistake. And it was like I just feel like this uh, so strongly that God said, like, no, no, this one belongs to Wes and John. You know, and I, that's the way I see my life. That's the way that I I see the world today. I, I just know the. Um, unmistakable hand of God. I just know it in my life today, you know, when things like that happen. I just want to talk for a minute about the condition of this house. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. It was nasty. All the electrical had been taken out of this property. It's a big house. This was a, this was a, probably an executive's house uh, for Champion International Paper back in the 50s, 60s, some, somewhere around there. So it was yeah. a gorgeous house. Yep. Somebody had turned it into a four-unit apartment building. But then that landlord must have lost the house and decided that they were going to take, I guess, all the copper, all the electrical, the doors. And I think he, he even tried to come back later and sell you the doors yeah. back after. No, he wanted to sell me the panels <laughs> oh, the back. the panels yeah. back, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that was... Nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you better get on out of here, buddy. <laughs> But this house was a mess, and Wes and a friend of ours, Jerome, spent hours and weeks and months inside this house, a whole year, just making it what it is today, which is rock-solid, beautiful oh, property. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they really poured their heart and soul into that 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 place, and then Wes, you obviously have cared for it. Um, it was a little bit of a struggle getting started. It was, it was, an, it's been an amazing journey, but I mean, I had a, a fella, uh, you know, we finished the house and we opened Greg's place and I had an idea about, you know, sober living and what it should be like. And I did, did a lot of reading and studying and, you know, sober living is, is got, uh, aspects of all kinds of different things that are necessary to operate it successfully. And uh, I mean, being a landlord's part of it, being uh, somebody that's a peer supporter of people in recovery, that's part of it. Um, being a, a bit of a therapist or having some type of uh, knowledge or vision or understanding about psychology and people and relationships, all of these things are just, you, you can't be one without the other and do this successfully, at least not in my opinion. But I had a man named Ivan Fask. Uh, that actually mentored me and brought me up in this thing. And Ivan actually sat at the chair that I sit at and sit at now with the Recovery Resource Collaborative in, in Cincinnati. And um, I, that was Ivan's baby. Ivan uh, brought 
brought that uh, collaborative to life, and that's a collection of all of the most experienced sober living homes in greater Cincinnati. Um, Prospect House, Serenity, Angie's House of Freedom, um, First Step, uh, Women's, uh, Sober Living Inc., and I, I'm probably missing some, but but these people have you know years and you Charlie's three quarter. These people have years and years of experience. So so I got uh, got in together with them, and Ivan taught me um, you know just how to set up and establish a a uh, successful house. And um, you know the first year it just it ate my lunch. I mean these guys they challenged me. I, <laughs> I I'm telling you you know part of it was you fill the house because you. You, you need to make the dollars to, to make make the thing run because, you know, these things don't support them themselves without men. Unless you're a 501c3, you know, you can go out and solicit for grants and funds. I never had that vision. I, that's not what I wanted. I want the men that's, that stay there to be the supportive element of, of the financial stability of the house. And I got to tell you, the truth is, is that from day one, we've never uh, we've never not made the uh, the rent and and uh, utilities, you know, on, on the home and, and uh, the cost to 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 sustain it. So um, we've never asked anybody for anything. Uh, the community's been very supportive. Uh, Greg, we've named uh, named the house after Greg Cox, who was a uh, member of Twelve Step Recovery. He was a counselor in Hamilton and uh, in the area and helped thousands of men and women. Mm-hmm. And just was an, an a just an amazing guy, uh, a wonderful, wonderful man. And we thought that uh, there could be no better. We, it was just we we knew when we when we came up with, with we his sat name, down to talk about the name, and we were both it, he was number one. It, 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 there was no question yep. about who that house needed to be named after. So Marcus' brother has invested a lot of time and energy, and and uh, his mother um, Doris, who's passed now, but Doris was just um, just absolutely honored by the fact that that we named that house after greg and and couldn't have been more 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 tickled you know so so it's been a great thing i mean i i i've watched men uh come in here uh to the house now and uh you know men that didn't have a a pot to you know what in or a window to throw it out of that were in so much trouble with the law and their families they were estranged and their children weren't talking to them and they owe child support and they're not employable and 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 they hate life and hate themselves and i've watched i mean one man in particular now and i i won't mention any names but i watched him come in um he was suffering from um, uh, uh, the delusions of uh, meth, uh, meth use. Of um, uh, I'm having trouble finding the word of um, methamphetamines. Yeah, of um, psychosis. Oh, he was yes. he, he was he was experienced terrible psychosis. Um, his family had you know they were done with him, um, and I, I just watched this guy start picking up the pieces one by one and following simple instructions you know and and being able to encourage him and and help guide him through that you know i I always say this there's nothing higher than being able to affect another man's life there's there's nothing higher in this world 
if you are able to do that and you can go to your grave with that, you, I think you've done more than more than you could expect. Well, you, you know, you have certainly done that. I know in Dustin's life, you've uh, impacted him greatly, and certainly with mine, we've got probably should have led off with all the different stories, oh but gosh, we'll, we'll tie maybe gosh. a few of those things in here <laughs> in, in a few minutes. But yeah, um, yeah, you're you're definitely living it. Yeah. It's been a blessing, you know. I'm I'm currently working with uh, the Mars Board. Um, it, unofficially, they've uh, they've received a grant for uh, sober living homes, and they've uh, extended that opportunity out to different providers. and And so I'm kind of working with them to help to try to establish um, a collection or a collaborative here in Butler County as well for sober living homes. Um, there's a there's a model that is uh, provided by Ohio Recovery Housing, which sets standards and uh, and um, establishes what different levels of, of recovery housing uh, different houses are. Greg's place is a level two. That means that we're uh, monitored and we have uh, we have um, we, we have guidance and a house manager, but. Uh, I don't live on site, and um, the men there, you know, they, they really take care of each other, and they're accountable to one another, and they have that peer uh, uh, support and peer um, accountability to one another that, that helps keep a, keep a stable house. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I don't know what else I can say about it. it it's, it's very rock solid, and I've, I've witnessed some of these guys, how they police themselves and hold themselves accountable, um, and they respect Wes incredibly. I also really love and respect you for making this essentially self-supporting, that you're teaching these men how to be responsible, because many of them coming through there, uh, they, they've been living pretty wild, and, <laughs> and I guess mooching off of everyone else oh yeah there's fellas that have never paid rent they've never cooked their own meals they've never done their own laundry i mean the the chores that you make them do the basic needs right the the Mm -hmm. basic requirements and that takes them to that next level of being contributing members of society versus a drain and a parasite on society and besides the fact that you know that recovery is the most important piece of this thing that you got to have that before you can do anything else i mean we look at where a fella is with his education if he needs his ged or uh, something like that we provide the path and the and the the support to make that happen i've got a guy that's just passed four out of five of his tests. we're just terribly awesome. excited for him yeah. he, he's just a he's just an amazing amazing young man you he know is. and and this is a kid that came off of the streets he 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 lived a life that was um you know marginal at best i mean a a a very difficult upbringing and a very difficult past you know and and seeing what's happening with him and is amazing we we've uh uh, brought in ohioans with occupational disabilities so od recently and um they uh they're working with these men wherever they're at if they're looking for work they help them find work if they're looking to uh, determine what their career path should be they have occupational testing uh, that they'll provide for them if they decided what they wanted to do and they want to go back to college or trade school um, they will help with the the financing of that so there's all kinds of new opportunities that um, have opened up through that part I won't say partnership but through that relationship um, with OD that I'm really excited about you know so we I, I try to look at 
the whole person and not just the addiction mm-hmm. because you know a lot of a lot of times a fellow will get uh, get his life together and get cleaned up and and doing the right thing but he's unsatisfied in his life he is not challenged he he has no direction he has no goals and these are all the things that we try to make sure that are a piece of our process there that we have goals uh, structure that we have the support um, that we're looking at all of the things that allow a man to feel comfortable in his own skin and good about his life. You mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. you mentioned a couple times the word pruning. I love that. Or you wow. said you were buried and then you were planted right at 19, and God's been pruning you ever since. And I'm really uh, just I just love that. I think hopefully we'll we'll probably take that and use that a little bit. Sure. Um, I want to know. A little bit about what you think you know god's obviously not done yet do you have any vision for the immediate future um anything on the horizon and then also you, is there anything else you wanted to share from a from a miracle standpoint okay. about how god's really impacted your life and blessed you you know it's funny because i've uh, i've been i've been very goal oriented um all, all through my recovery here and i've i've had all these things that I've wanted to accomplish and do. And, and I got to tell you the truth, um, 99% of them have come to pass. You know, I, one thing that I, my first sponsor taught me, I think, was uh, this idea of establishing goals and putting things on paper. And what I found to, what I found to be true in my life is, is that anything that I've ever set to paper has come to pass. Wow. And uh, everything. I mean, and, and I can go back. I can go back 30, 40 years and and show you p- things on paper that have come to pass in my life. You know, um, I I've um, I've I've got um, a few stories that that I'd like to share about the the miracles if if I could. You know, one please, of please, one, yeah. one, one of the one of the early early on stories would be um, I had I had this job I was. I was working for Farron's Tree Surgeons in Florida, which was uh, their under, underground buried wire division. I was burying wire for General Telephone of Florida. And uh, and so one day, and this was early, early in my recovery and in my relationship with God and, and uh, just not being, you know, I, I was taught to pray, but I wasn't sure that anything was really happening with that or not. But I was out in the country, out in Mayaca City, and uh, burying wire, and I was going too fast with this digger, this digger machine that, that I was running. It was a uh, case mini sneaker, and, and I, I flipped the machine, and this is a, I don't know, 5,000-pound machine. It's, mm. it's nothing you're going to pick up, you know, by yourself. I didn't have a tow chain. Um, all the hydraulic fluid leaked out. The gas leaked out. I mean, and I... It was the middle of the afternoon, about three o'clock in the afternoon. It was Florida. It was hot, 110 in the shade. And I just went to my truck. I was devastated. I was like, I I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I just prayed. I said, God, help me. God, help me. I didn't have it. I couldn't. uh, I did have a telephone and I and I I hooked up to one of the bell boxes and I called my supervisor. I told him, I said, I'm down. I've turned my machine over and uh, I'm down for the rest of the day. But I didn't know how to get a hold of my direct supervisor for the company. So I got in my truck and I went to sleep. Yeah, I, 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 I went to sleep. I, I, I think I was just so 
depressed and devastated that I, I just, I just went to sleep. Just can't deal with this. Just going to close my eyes. I didn't know what else. I, I couldn't leave the machine there. I, I didn't know what to do. You yeah. know, so I wake up and here down this drive, and I mean, I am, I'm, I'm probably two miles where the road signs have ended past the road signs. Okay, out in Miaka City, it's Central Florida. It's a very hard Florida. So, anyways, here comes this truck. And it's, here it is, my direct supervisor from Ferens. And him and another guy from Bradenton had just, just by chance, had run into my supervisor at a gas station in Bradenton. And my G, GE, GTE supervisor told him, he said, hey, you know, Wes is, is he's, he's in trouble. And they said, where is he? Well, we're not sure. They weren't even really sure where I was. But the guy that lived in Bradenton, he, he knew the countryside like nobody else. Well, they drove up. They had the hydraulic fluid, the gas, the tow chains. They had everything I needed. And I just remember looking up and thinking, man, maybe you are real, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah, it, it was a powerful, powerful demonstration for me, you know. Um, an, another one was um, in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I had run from probation uh, years ago. And uh, in fact, when I got sober, I think uh, 20, what, 22 years ago, I had warrants in five states. I mean, I was, if the judge ever let me go, I was gone. Yeah. You didn't see me again. <laughs> And uh, so I'd, I'd gone back to try to take care of this thing, and uh, and they they didn't want to they didn't want to do anything for me. They they wanted me to serve two years and ten months, you know. And this was felony cocaine possession, but it was residue, you know. And but they were serious about it. So I finally I'd saved a lot of money not not drinking and using, and so I paid this attorney a lot of money to get me a real sweetheart deal and. And I went and I took care of that, and um, I, I did that because I wanted to get my Florida contractor's license. So, here's another another uh, um, another example. So I contacted the Florida construction licensing industry, and they said, "Well, you know, uh, it used to be that if you were a convicted felon, you couldn't be a contractor, but that's not true any longer. We take it on a case by case basis. You'll have to appear before the board after you've done your testing." Been, done your application and been approved and passed the test, and so I went through that whole process and taking taking the board the uh, uh, taking the um, uh, what what is it the when, exam? Well, I'm I'm thinking about the comparison of, of uh, passing the attorneys. Oh, those like the, the bar, bar exam. Bar exam, yeah. 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 Pa passing the bar exam is is has some real similarities to to the construction licensing board exam for the state of Florida to be a contractor. They don't you don't do they don't give those licenses away. I'll mm. promise you that. So, anyways, I go through that whole process, and uh, I was supposed to go before the board. And it was stated to me that I would be placed on probation for the first year if they accepted me as a contractor, and then I could be instated as a full contractor after that. So I take this test. I, I, I did exceptionally well. I passed all the tests. I applied. I, I met all the requirements except for the fact that I was convicted felon. So I'm waiting around. I'm waiting around for the board to send me a letter so that I can go up here before the board. And uh, weeks go by, and two months goes by, and I'm thinking, it's been too long, you know, something. And so I get on the computer and I do a search on the construction industry licensing board for contractors. Just, just I don't know why I looked that day, but I did. And there it was. 
Wesley J. Lybrook, certified building contractor. Mm. And it was so, I didn't even have, it, it was like, again, here's another circumstance in my life where I feel like God said, no, we're not gonna worry about that, Wes. Yeah, you know? total control. And so, and so you feel that love and that support of a power greater than yourself. And, and that's, I don't know if that's just outlook and if that's reality or not, but it is for me, it's my reality, you know? Let's go back for just a minute because I, I wanted to make sure we hit on this. One of the boldest, bravest moves I've ever seen anyone take is when you walked back into that jail <laughs> In Atlanta, Georgia, you, you kind of just glossed over that for a minute, yeah. but yeah. you walked, you did that when you had been a number of years seven, in recovery, seven, seven years, seven yeah. years in recovery, your life had been established. You've got a business that you're running, mm-hmm. um, several, several relationships with, with friends and family. And you, you were established, um, involved in the community and you walked back into a jail cell really facing how long? Two years, ten months, <laughs> and no, no real promises, but some ideas that this wasn't going to be two years and ten months. But yeah. tell us a little bit about how well, that went you know, down I, and what you experienced. Like I said, I paid an attorney a lot of money to find a way to to get through it, and he thought he could, you know. But there's no guarantees. Once you surrender yourself, you're at their mercy, <laughs> and that's just the way it is. And believe me, you know, if you think they do what they say they're going to do, <laughs> you might want to think again. That's not always the case, you know. And so, yeah, it was it was tremendous tremendously frightening it was but i'll tell you you know what the funny thing is is i've never been able to have a steak dinner on my way to jail (laughs) (laughs) make sure you did that and then i did that day but uh yeah i I turned myself in and um i i was terrified you spent seven days i think it was about a week and then they reinstated my probation for like two years um I ended up with the probation officer from hell. She was, oh, my God. I mean, I'd been sober and clean for seven years, and every every time I walked in, you know, she treated me like I had just come from the crack house, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I, I get it. That's just, you know, her perspective on people. Yeah, I asked her for a letter when I was when I was applying for my contractor's license if she wouldn't give me a letter for how I, you know, how she had experienced me and and how I had done with her and, and on probation and so forth. She starts out this letter, the above named offender. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's going to go over real I'm well. I'm like, yeah. thanks. Thank, thanks yeah. a lot. We, rip, we, rip, yeah. we ripped that one up. But yeah, what a miracle. You know, I mean, here again, you know, I never got what I deserved. I mean, the bottom line mm-hmm. is, is that, um, so, you know, here's an, another, um, an, another piece of, of um, well, another another thing that I was thinking about <clears throat> related to that is that um, uh, at at the time um, I didn't know how I was going to um, take care of that attorney. You know, I mean, I didn't have a big bag of money sitting around. You know, and I remember my my ex wife actually at the time offering to um, to pay it for me, and I said no, I can't accept that. And she said, well, why don't you just you know put it on a credit card and pay him half and trust God for the rest, you know? And I thought, well, I, I guess I could do that, you know? And, and the funny thing was, was once I made that commitment to follow through and I did that, um, all of a sudden a job sold uh, down there for me. It was like, I don't know, $35,000 job or something like that. And, and so once I made that commitment, that's when God showed up. Mm-hmm. But God, I, I feel like I needed 
to make that good faith movement step first. And, and when I did that, everything that I needed was just like we so often say, you know, the table was set, you know, yeah. everything that I needed mm-hmm. was there. So it's great. Man. Wes, you've, you've come a long, long way. And, um, I got a feeling it's, uh, it's almost like we're just getting started still, yeah. um, so much more good to do. And, um, can't wait to see what other blessings and miracles come in your life. And then also the lives of other people around you. Yeah. Um, you know, when I met you, in 1998, I was just a teenage kid, and um, Wes was just back into recovery. He would uh, travel. You know, before that, he was traveling around in his house. I mean, he, he came through in his house. Um, and then he, when I met him, he was living in a, in a little house. He moved up a little bit, got him a little house. But as he likes to often say, the windows and the doors were extra at that yeah. house. Yeah. 521 Miami Street. Yeah, it, was, it was an interesting spot. And today he lives out on a farm with about five acres, I think. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous property. Yeah. And it's not about the material stuff. We know nah. that. I'm not saying that. But those are byproducts of living right and doing right. Yeah. And he certainly invested and made that happen for himself. Um, man, we've had we've had some really good times, too. Wes and I have yeah. been I started making a list of some of the places we've been. We started out camping together at Governor Bebb and yeah. going out to Clifty Falls on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. We've taken multiple trips to Florida yeah. when he reunited with his ex-wife and uh, his daughter, Leah, got mm-hmm. to go down and, and meet both of them. Yeah. Um, that, that's been fantastic. We've done that a couple of times. We've been to New York City together. Yeah. Uh, we took a long drive out to New York City with another friend. And yeah. I was only, I don't know, 19, 90, 20, maybe something like that. And I had never driven in a big city like that other than, you know, downtown Cincinnati. But he was a little bit more experienced. So he and the other guy drive all the way out there. And then we get to the city and they go, all right, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I had to navigate this little stick shift inside New York City. Oh, uh, We've been to San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. Um, Atlanta. Atlanta. So we, we've, we've traveled. We've spent some time together. And then beside from being best friends, we've been business partners, too. We mm-hmm. spent 10 years uh, building a business together and it got to a point where it was time to, you know, the market changed and my career path went one way and your interests were going another way. You were very heavily involved with Greg's place and decided mm-hmm. maybe it's time to split this. And we've been able to, to do that. That was a f- couple years back. And here we, here we are still, I mean, it was most business uh, partnerships. I don't, that I hear about don't end as well mm-hmm. as they have for us. And that just speaks to, I think it speaks to living a principled life. Yeah, no doubt. You Definitely. Know? I think that that's really the, the, the necessary ingredient, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been really interesting for me to uh, be able to watch both of you um, in recovery and uh, especially the way that business um, separated. Uh, I I actually, when when I heard that you guys were separating the business, I was like, oh man, is this going to get weird? Like, um, are these, you know, are the, you know, these two are my buddies. Is this going to get awkward? Am I going to have to, you know, pick? And I'll tell you what, there hasn't been one moment of awkwardness, animosity. Um, It's been, it's been, really cool to watch um, you two operate um, through that as well as being an example in recovery and speaking to just Wes you know here because we are having him on as a guest um, I he is such a leader in Hamilton recovery I'm so thankful for him for not getting his and leaving 
Uh, sure. Man. He, a lot of people do that. Yeah, they do. Um, and whatever. I, yeah, I try not to judge that or whatever. That, that's what it is. But uh, this guy, I'm so thankful for him for sticking around. And, I mean, I, I look at him as a, a trunk of the tree that's been planted and all the other branches coming off of it. Especially, yeah, that's a great visual. Yeah, it really is. Um, because, and I'm not trying to toot his horn or blow him up or anything like that, but there's, he really affects, he was talking about affecting another man's life. And with what he sticks around and just, you know, standing in the gap and the things that he's doing with Greg's place and the board and all that, the, um, Directly or indirectly, he touches so many people's lives in recovery. It's unbelievable. You want to talk about miracle stories, that's the miracle. He's also the best person to go out to dinner with. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, here comes a good story. Because yeah, tell him. Wes is a perfectionist, oh, okay? Listen, when we, were, when we were working on properties and whatnot, there was zero cutting corners. I mean, the only the, the, one of the main reasons I, I, I partnered up with Wes, too, is I, I don't know anything about construction, right? I knew real estate and finance and, and, and that kind of thing and saw opportunities, but construction, you, you, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I can't, I barely hammer a nail in, right? And I would say, why can't you just go around it this way? And there were no shortcuts no, no. ever. Mm-hmm. If you if you want something done done right, Wes is the guy. Especially if you want your dinner right at Texas oh, Roadhouse oh, yeah. or Longhorn, anything like that. Anywhere. Because if it is not perfect, <laughs> We're getting that for free, oh, most likely. Oh, take this plate back. Oh. <laughs> He's going to tell you the truth. How's your steak? That's for you, Tony. That's that terrible. was for you. <laughs> you know, along along with that, though, I got one more. Sh- I I got one more story. Can 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 I Come share? On, sir. Okay, so, we don't we don't. Yeah. This isn't seven hundred WLW, no, baby. So this goes along with uh, the the whole contractor's license in Florida. So I, I got my license, okay, and I start I start uh, working in Florida, and I got it in two thousand seven, uh, um, and so I'm licensed to build anything commercial or residential up to three stories, and I'm still a Florida contractor, but I I'm not active. But at any rate. Um, I got my license just in time for the bottom to fall out. So that last year, so that first year and last year for me that I operated in Florida, I, the first, uh, big, big, uh, project that I I am looking at is a $450,000 design build, uh, remodel. It's an addition. Okay. For a, uh, couple in Winter Haven, Florida. And, um, and that's when the Bear Stearns thing hit. And right then the values went, they dropped. 32% 32% like I mean over overnight okay so so the property's no no longer able to to warrant what they want to to uh borrow on it and that so i watched a $450,000 contract evaporate in a week okay you're in the worst Man. state at the worst time then behind that we got a we've got a design build contract with uh port of tampa to build um a, a building for them and that was probably i don't know three hundred fifty thousand dollar contract and it evaporated so i'm sitting there and within six months i've watched a million dollars worth of contracts evaporate okay uh, i don't know what i'm going to do so i come up here to go to a retreat right and uh john you know john was there and, and john said you know investors are flocking from all over the country to the midwest to buy properties for pennies on the dollar he says are you interested and i said well i i, 
I don't know. I don't know if I'm interested or not. And he said, well, he said, I built, he said, I built a product for the credit union and it's an investment rehab loan program. And it'll provide you the money to, to uh, make the purchase, make the rehab, and then convert it to a, to a regular mortgage after, after you're done. He said, they've encouraged me to use it. He said, are you interested? <laughs> And I, I said, well, I don't know, you know, can you, can you give me a sweeter deal, you know? So, no, no money out of your pocket. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did I mention you don't have to bring any money to the table, you know? So uh, we said, you know, yeah, let's give it. I, I didn't know what else I was going to do. I mean, I'm not working. I, I'm, I don't have a lot of commitments, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I've watched all this stuff evaporate. So anyways, it wasn't what I wanted at the time. However, it was on paper. Did I mention that before? Mm -hmm. It was on paper, buying properties wow. and, and developing a real estate uh, uh, portfolio oh. of, of rental properties, okay? And so what I didn't want to do and what I was forced to, to do has become one of the biggest blessings of my life because in the, in the ensuing what eight years after that we started in oh no oh nine oh nine oh nine and we we did that till what 15, About 17 50 well i guess greg's place was the last mm -hmm. c street was the last yeah. one so till 17 i think so officially 16 yeah. okay so for you know the next what seven eight years um was the most amazing financial transformation of my life. I, I, at what, four or five years in, I think I was really semi-retired. Yep. I didn't have to work and um, still am today. I mean, I, I semi-retired. I can't envision a day I don't work. I, I love working, you know. I, I love uh, working with my hands and I love working with my mind and my heart too. You know? sure. But you, you, you really get to choose what you want to do. Oh man, I, I yeah. you know, I, I just, I think I, I've got it made. I've got it I've so got it made. I get up in the morning and most of the time, that's not all the time, but I, I pick what I want to do today. You know, what an amazing, amazing mm -hmm. thing that God's provided. Absolutely. So, no so, you know, what I thought was one of the biggest curses of my life became one of the biggest blessings. And the other thing too, is, you know, initially when we, um, when we bought our first property together, I didn't want to go together. But but the bank said no. You by yourself. We're we're not doing it. And it it was I was forced into this direction. And had it not been for you, there is mm -hmm. no way I would be where I'm at today. Yeah. Well, it's mutual, vice versa. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Because like I said, I I, I don't swing a hammer. <laughs> I've learned a lot, and I can eyeball some things now and almost guide you on what to do. I still can't do it myself. Though. Yeah. Well, the wife can. That's she yeah. can, no doubt about it. Yeah, she puts everything together in yeah. the house. Yeah. And I would be remiss if I didn't uh, should just share one more thing, and that is, is that you know, if, uh, about five, five and a half, almost six years ago, uh, I met my current wife, and uh, she's just the most amazing woman. Um, that I've ever known, and she's perfect for me. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> she's so sweet. She is, and she yeah. is very. She, you guys are a great match. She's yeah. a social worker, she and is. she's got such an amazing um, perspective on things. I I so value. You know, it's so funny because so many times, you know, you hear men and women in relationships, and a man talking about ah, she's just she's she can't see this or she can't see that or she doesn't she looks and i just love her perspective you know and uh we we have got such a great life together we bought this farm um 
here a few years to, ago together, and uh, I, I just never, I, I guess I never could have imagined things being this good, you know, and uh, how blessed I am. And, you know, my mother was, my mother never married. You know, we were talking about last week, you guys were talking about a little bit about sins of the father kind right. of thing, you yeah. know, about how things get. My mother never married, my uncle never married, so my two primary role models of, of my childhood never married. Well, I've been married three times, so I, <laughs> I, 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 I certainly surpassed that. I, I healed that piece, right? But, yeah. uh, but this lady here, she's just, uh, she is, she's the greatest, greatest blessing of my life. Yeah. And uh, I'm tremendously, tremendously grateful for for her and for what I've been afforded with her. So yeah, she's a great person. She I really think very is. highly of Molly. Yeah. I have a, she's great for you, too. I have yeah. a, a daughter in Florida, and she's um, she's your age. Yeah. And uh, that's the funny thing about John and I is that John's my daughter's age, and we've been best friends <laughs> yeah. for 20, 22 years. Yeah, you man, know? Awesome. But my daughter's uh, in Florida, and she's married to a wonderful man. His name is Josh, and Josh is just uh, Josh is just as good as they come. Just yeah. a good a man has ever come down the road. And uh, I have two beautiful grandchildren. My my uh, granddaughter Eva is seven, and Gage is four, and uh, uh, they just adore their grandpa. Mm-hmm. You know. I didn't share this earlier, but you know, I walked out of my daughter's life when she was six, just like you get up and walk out the door. And uh, I was a deadbeat dad. I was estranged and removed from her for almost 10 years. I was three years into my recovery before I made a reconnection with her. And I was prepared for the fact that she may never speak to me again, you know, but that isn't the way it went, you know. And a few years later, I got to walk that little girl down the aisle. And uh, today we we've got an amazing relationship. Um, uh, I, I they love their grandpa and and I get to spend some time with them a couple of times a year. They're in Florida and it's not the way that I would like for it to be. But what a, what a blessing! And there again, so much more than I ever deserved. Yeah, so fortunate. Yeah, awesome. Wes, thanks so much for coming in here and telling your story. Oh, sure. uh, we couldn't have picked a better person to kick this thing off for yeah, us. Yeah. We've got so much history and such a great relationship. Yeah. You did a fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I can't sum it up any better than that. Thank you. That's sure. awesome. Great great story of redemption and comeback and yeah. buried, planted, pruned. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Dustin, you got any final thoughts, some announcements? Yeah, I mean, I, my final thoughts were I kind of shared them a few minutes ago with the with the the tree trunk and the branching off with him. So I, I think that if you have any final thoughts, you can share those. And okay, we'll just end with some announcements then. And um, so just uh, kind of a reminder that we are um, live from um, Foundation Community Church, which is Trenton, Ohio, one hundred South Boulevard. Um, church service starts here Sundays at 1045. Um, come join us this coming Sunday um, for um, sermon series part three of Healthy Things Grow. And also don't forget that there is a staying surrendered AA meeting that starts Monday nights at seven. And that's all I got, man. Awesome. Wes, Great. thanks again. Yep. Dustin. Look forward to the next one. Keeping it real. Keeping it real. We'll keep on keeping on. Great job. Peace. Thanks.